Hello and welcome to another episode of Constant Writers, the show where I get to introduce you to your new favourite indie horror authors. My name is Dave Musson, I'm at Dave Musson on Instagram, and as I said, this is a podcast where I talk to indie writers and maybe help you find some new talent to get on your bookshelves, on your Kindles, and in front of your eyes. So in each episode, I talk to an author about them, about their work, about what makes them tick, all of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the Stephen King page here, after all, we geek out about the master of horror. And each of my guests picks one Stephen King book for us to go in on a little bit more depth before we wrap up with the quickfire 19 question Stephen King challenge. Now, if that sounds like fun, stick around for this episode. And of course, check out all the other ones that are already there. You'll find them in the feed wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast. So my guest for this episode, season two, episode three, is the fantastic Christopher Badcock, who is the author of Those You Killed, a quite brilliant novel that you absolutely have to check out. Now, Christopher, or Chris, as he did give me permission to call him in this interview, he's a little bit like me. He's a metalhead. He's from the Midlands here in the middle of England. Um, and he has a child called Aubrey as well. So there we go. But we chatted about his process for writing this novel. We chatted a bit more about his writing in general. And then we went in on Stephen King and his book of choice was one you might have heard of. It's It. So we go in on all things to do with Derry, Pennywise, The Losers Club, all of that stuff. It's a really, really great conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy getting to know Christopher or Chris or whatever we're calling him. And you should absolutely check out his work. The links for everything you need when it comes to connecting with Chris slash Christopher to get his work are in the description for this episode. Also in the description, you'll find links to my newsletter, my Stephen King quiz book, some of my fiction as well. If you want to check those out, yeah, that'd be wonderful. But if you're going to check anything out from this episode, it's Christopher Badcock. You've got to go and read his work because it is fantastic. Enough waffling from me. I'll be here on the other side just to say bye. But for now, come on in and meet potentially your new favourite author. This is Christopher Badcock talking all things him, Stephen King and it. Well, Chris, welcome to Constant Writers. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Stephen King later on in this chat, but as I like to do with these interviews, I want to start by talking about you. Um, so I guess to start with the question I always start these interviews with, like, what's your what's your origin story with all things literature? When did you when did you fall in love with with writing and reading as well? I guess. Um, I mean, reading from from a very young age. Um, I don't. I guess I don't really remember not reading. Um, so I get for me, sort of the first things that I kind of fell in love with from a from a from a literature point of view were sort of choose your own adventure stories. Um, fond memories of those, uh, cheating on them a lot as well. Um, uh, Animals of Farthing Wood as well. It's a big one for me when I was a kid. My grandma used to buy them for me every week. They were released. Yeah, um, they came from the same kids tape. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then and then obviously you know uh, at some point I sort of got onto Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with that, and that's where I kind of sort of guess fell in love with horror. Um, but I mean, my my mum was uh, was a massive bookworm uh, and still is as well. So there were always, I mean, she had bookshelves, and I was always sort of 
fascinated by the books that she had on her shelves. So, so yeah, so from a very young age, I was just surrounded by books and people that loved books. Um, in terms of writing, though, I think it was probably, um, it was probably when I was at secondary school. Um, then studying English, um, I was like, I'm lucky enough to have a, an English teacher who was just absolutely incredible, uh, Mr. Arnold. Um, it's probably the best teacher that I've ever had in my life. And he was so, he was just so engaging and so passionate. And it kind of, it sort of lit a fire within me. And it was boring though. It was in my sort of late BCSE years, I was sort of 15, 16, um, in his classes where I started to kind of dabble in, in writing myself. I, I did a little poetry because um, I was a typical lovesick teenager, so um, and uh, I actually wrote uh, wrote a fantasy novel, like and handwritten, um, which was it was a few hundred pages, uh, all written by hand. But and so so yeah, I think it was yeah, I think it, it was probably him that sort of really sort of lit that fire within me from a young age, and I kind of, I mean, I always I, I loved films um, growing up, and I always kind of I had in my head that I wanted to be a film director. Um, and then I would speak to him about it and, um, he sort of, sort of teased out of me what it was that I loved about films. And it was, it was kind of like, it, it was the story aspect of it. Essentially. Mm. Um, and he, he basically sort of said to me that like, you don't want to be a film director. You want to actually be a writer. You want to be the person that writes the story. The film director just makes the story. Um, so yeah, so so it was a, it was a combination of him sort of explaining that to me and opening my eyes, and and the fact that he was just so engaging and so passionate, and yeah, so, so yeah, from sort of fifteen sixteen, really, I knew I knew that I wanted to write stories. And when and when did you start taking it more seriously? Like when did you realize you could actually do this and then put put stuff together that other people would want to read and put it out there? Um. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough one, that is, because I guess so. The, the, the early stories that I wrote, so that that fantasy novel that I mentioned, I didn't share that with anybody. I kind of wrote it for me, for the mm. joy of, of, of writing, for my own enjoyment. Um, I then, like, I wrote uh, I, I wrote another story when I was at school as well that was about um, like a, a Russian submarine, and they were doing experiments, and it and it, it sank, and one of the scientists turned into this horrible monster and he then started terrorizing this sort of american research facility um and again i didn't share it with anybody i kept it to myself so i think i don't know in terms of when i started to take it seriously it was probably when i started actually sharing some of my work with people like friends and family yeah. um so when i was in my uh when i was in my early 20s um I took that fantasy novel that I'd written and sort of rewrote it. Um, and that I did share with my, with my family. I shared it with my friends and, and I got a lot of positive feedback uh, from it. And I think that was probably, probably at that point that I thought, okay, maybe this isn't just something that I really want to do. Maybe it's something that I could do. Um, but again, I've always been very unsure of myself. So uh, I'm not sure that even now I take it completely seriously. And I think there's probably a part of me that just doesn't want to take it seriously, if I'm honest. 
um, just in terms of, I don't know, I always kind of think, because I have a day job as well, that's very serious. Um, mm -hmm. I always, and I kind of think that, like, if something becomes serious, it becomes stressful, it becomes a burden, uh, it becomes a bit of a chore. Um, and I always want to enjoy writing. Yeah. Um, I think that there are times when I kind of sort of fall into that, though, um, you know, when I've got writer's block or I, you know, anything, it feels like a chore if I'm trying to meet a deadline, especially at the moment, there are deadlines that I need to meet um, for the next book. And so as much as I kind of, I think that there's a part of me that wants to be very serious about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another part of me that, that doesn't. And it's kind of, I'm always trying to sort of find this balance between the two. And I don't really find a balance. If I'm totally honest, I kind of, um, you know, bob and weave between both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's talk about your, your debut novel, um, those you killed. I mean, something that, that is out there that other people can read and that they can, they can give you feedback directly on. I mean, personally, I, I absolutely loved this. I thought it was just this wonderful, like weird, unnerving story that you know i got stuff about addiction isolation battling demons and all of that kind of stuff um and yeah i thought i thoroughly enjoyed it, it as one of my favorite reads of last year like where where did the inspiration for this one come from uh so i mean with with that a lot of it came from my own experiences um so in in my younger years i i battled with addiction myself um had friends that were addicted to much harder stuff than I was addicted to. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I wasn't an Elwood, um, but I was pretty bad with it. Um, so that, that sort that, that aspect of it was sort of, it was knowledge that I had that I didn't need to research. Um, I think in terms of where the idea came from though, it was, it was when my daughter was born, um, in 2017, I started to kind of, uh, and I think about this a lot still. Um, I thought about by then I'd I'd quit everything that I was doing, and I was kind of you know, and I and I was and I was doing quite well in my career, my day job. Um, and then I became a dad, and I kind of thought to myself, what if, um, what what if I'd have become a dad when I was that person, and it kind of like. I, I kept on thinking about it and it almost became a sort of like like a weird imagined like retrospective guilt like I felt guilty even even though I wasn't that person anymore I kind of imagined that I was and and what that would have meant for for, for my daughter um and it sort of it, it it was something that I kind of battled with for quite a while and then I decided actually I think this is something that I want to write about. I think if I'm going to write a story, this is what I want it to be because it could almost be a sort of catharsis. Hmm. That's the word that was going around my head exactly. Yeah. It sounded like that. Um, and 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 it what and when I wrote it, very much was um, you know a lot of the the uh, the, the internal uh, argument that, that I would have him with himself, or ones that I had with myself um, in terms of sort of losing everything. Um, so yeah, sort of taking Elwood on that journey 
um you know i knew what i wanted to do with it obviously don't want to spoil anything here but i knew what i wanted to do with elwood um and my, i guess my, my story was kind of built around that elwood was the very it, he was the first thing that i thought of i thought i'm gonna have this character that is me in essence mm-hmm. and i'm just gonna I, and now i need to think of a story around him and you you pretty much i mean this is like one of your one of your first broader releases and you pretty much jumped straight in with a full novel which compared to some of the people i've spoken to this podcast is a a slightly different approach most people sort of chip away at the short stories and anthologies first i mean was that how was that to just go go straight in at the deep end was it was it daunting was it fun was it was it both like like how was it um it was it, it was daunting in a sense um but I kind of, I always tried to, um, there's like, a, there's a really like, there's a really good quote that I always remember, which is, um, like if you're, um, if you're lost in the forest and can't see your way, like through the trees, um, as long as you can like see the next step, then you take that next step. And that was kind of, I always, I knew what the end was, even though I couldn't see the way there, but I could always see. All I have to think is what happens next and yeah. kind of just plod along and take each step as it came. And that was kind of, that was how I tried to approach it. Obviously, you know, I'm not a perfect person. So there were times when it felt absolutely way too much and, mm. you know, and I would have to step away from it. I would feel bad. Um, but I would always try and recenter myself with that, that sort of mindset. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was really hard. Um, I think, I, honestly, though, the hardest part was the editing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised. I mean, it's difficult enough editing short stories. <laughs> editing something that's a few hundred pages is um yeah, it's no mean feat. But like I say, I mean, you, you did a terrific job with it. It's um it's definitely one of those books that I really enjoyed last year, and it's one that I'll always take the opportunity to recommend to people. I think something that really struck with me was just how accomplished your you were in terms of building characters like we've already you've already mentioned elwood i think he's a really captivating lead and like the side characters you've got like like whiskey and and aubrey who happens to share a name with my youngest child as well which is obviously a good name but you know they they feel like they've got that sort of kingian vibe to them of side characters that feel like they're fleshed out and feel important to the story and like I said your your dialogue was really strong as well i mean with we're getting those elements getting those elements right was that important to you as well obviously you had the story in your head but like actually building those characters who your readers are going to care about and, and making them feel real like how important was that and how difficult was it to do if it was difficult um i mean really important i, I first of all my daughter's called aubriella um, okay. so, so Aubrey was, it was in a sense named after her. Um, but no, it was, it was, it was really important to me because I guess, you know, like Aubrey and whiskey, um, I guess those, those characters are there to serve a purpose. Um, essentially, you know, whiskey is there to, to serve up information and some wisdom and Aubrey is pretty much there just to serve up information. So and and those two things were were key for Elwood mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know helping him help along through through sort of what 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 he encounters uh, throughout the story. So in in that regard, it made them extremely important. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was, it was quite difficult, but it was, it was all, it was, it was, it was fun though. It was a, it was a fun challenge to write those characters. Hmm. And I think, you know, I, I took a lot of inspiration from the sort of characters that, that we see in, in Stephen King novels, um, cause he's my biggest inspiration. So, hmm. you know, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the dialogue, um, yeah, that's the dialogue is always a tough one. And I think, you know, a lot of times whenever I read, whenever I read any kind of book, not just an indie book, any kind of book, I think dialogue is always like the biggest downfall of any author because it can so easily not feel natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that was, that was super important. It, it all felt natural. And I think for me, Although it was challenging, it was something that I really enjoyed doing because it came back to that sort of, that love of films that I had when I was younger, and I still have. I'm a massive movie buff, uh, and I own screenplays, um, which which I've read, uh, you know. So I'm I'm a nerd for that mm. kind of thing, uh, and I think having that kind of sort of you know basic sort of foundation understanding of how people speak, um, and also I'm a massive introvert, so. I spend a lot of my time sitting back and listening to other people yeah. saying very much myself. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, yeah, those two things, the love of screenplays and being an introvert and listening to people talk probably helped me write what I, what I ultimately did think felt like quite natural dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why it's, it, it resonated with me because it, because it felt natural and it really did click. And it's interesting your point about the introvert because I, I I'm also in the in the introvert club of people who stay at home and uh, do all their interactions online and things like that. But I'd never really thought of it in, in that sense. It's a really good observation that you are you probably are better better place to um to have an idea of how people actually speak. Y- you mentioned King being your your biggest influence, and I certainly got a lot of King coming through the pages of um of those you killed. But I'm curious, were there any other authors who maybe had an influence on this that that other people have maybe picked up on? Um, I mean. King is, is a big one for me um, because he's my favorite author as well. It was kind of natural that, that there'd be a thread of, of his style throughout what I do and mm. inspiration from him. Um, there's, I've, I've been told there's a bit of Clyde Barker mm-hmm. in there, who again is another author that I, that I really love. Um, one of my friends told me as well that it was a bit like James Herbert if he was American. Mm-hmm. And again, James Herbert is one of my favorite authors too. So, so yeah, I think it would probably a kind, be a kind of mix of those three. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I've got to ask, and like not wanting to give too much away or, or spoilers or anything like that, but the I'm going to say the astronaut really got under my skin. Like that in particular, as much as you can without spoiling too much. Like, where, where did that come from? Because it's a really really effective image and like i say it really did really did dig away at me but i'm I'm curious as to what part of your brain that came from i so so yeah so so the astronaut a lot of people bring up the astronaut and i even had um somebody do some fan art i've got a picture of the astronaut uh, that somebody drew for me and 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 posted it to me um but it came from it, it there wasn't really anything that sort of deep and meaningful to it. I just thought it would be really cool 
Um, I kind of visualize it. Again, it comes back to that kind of like love of movies that whatever I'm writing, I kind of visualize it as a film. I think if I was watching a film, you know, this would look really cool. It would be creepy. Um, and in particular, it was, it was sort of the uh, the image of an astronaut in a supermarket hmm. uh, late at night. Uh, and also sort of the, the you know, the, the image of sort of an astronaut sort of kind of you know, floating around a house and sort of, you know, bumping off of the ceiling. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty much just that. I mean, like, I guess like the juxta juxtapose of it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, that's something that I've always liked, to be honest with you, in films or books, when you've got something that completely does not belong where it is and it's there. I think probably get a lot of that from like Lost. I was, yeah. I was a massive nerd for Lost. Um, you know, if you've seen Lost, as you know, there was like the polar bear on the tropical island. There was the sunken ship in the middle of the jungle. Just things that are so out of place, I think, have like such an impact. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was purely that. Nice. No, no, I like it. I like it. And I mean, obviously, it's, it's been a little while since this one came out. And I know I know from your socials and, and you mentioned earlier, you, you're working to deadlines and stuff like what what's next for you? What have you got coming up? Um, so I'm working on two, uh, books at the moment that are both due out next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a, there's a collection of short horror stories, uh, called Iniquities, mm -hmm. which I'm massively behind on. Uh, I did want that to be out back in the end of 2021. So I've been procrastinating. Um, and so there's that, uh, and there's also a uh, a fantasy novel, um, which uh, I mentioned earlier. The one that I'd written when I was a child, I then rewrote in my early twenties. Mm -hmm. I then worked on it some more throughout my late twenties, uh, and I'm now editing that one. Wow, um, that's going to be a dark fantasy, uh, which is going to be released through Darklit as well. So both of those are due out next year. Cool, and with the fantasy one, you can always go full circle and send a finished copy back to that inspirational teacher and say started this back off, off the back of your guidance and uh, here we go we've got the we've got the finished one for you that's, i would love to do that that's that's really cool and, and in terms of with your with your with those you killed and stuff i'll make sure links are in the description for this so people can go and pick it up if they haven't done so already it's like i say it's one i wholeheartedly recommend I think we are we're probably at the point now where we can we can switch our focus to King. After all, this is a, a Stephen King channel and I guess we're we're here to talk about him. And we got plenty to to get on to, but again, always start this section of the interview with the same question for all my guests. Like, what does Stephen King mean to you as a fan and like what sort of place does he hold in your heart? Um I mean <laughs> He holds a very special place in my heart for for a couple of reasons. So, um, my mum loved reading Stephen King. So, from a very early, I mentioned the bookshelves earlier on. From a very early age, I could see his name on on my mum's shelves, um, and it in particular. She had the first edition with um, you know where, where the, the house on Neibolt Street is is mm -hmm. in space. Uh, I've got it downstairs as well. Um, she had that on her shelves and that would always fascinate me. So th there was that. And, um, I guess when I, when I started reading his work, I've read all of them now, um, kind of learned that he's like, he isn't perfect. 
you know, he makes he makes mistakes in some of his books. He at times he uses some outdated, you know, lingo, uh, and some of his books just aren't that great. Uh, I mean, some of his books are absolutely incredible, and I'm I'm biggest Stephen King fanboy. I absolutely love him, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why. I love him so much is because he isn't perfect and I kind of can see myself, you know, I can see anybody because nobody is perfect. Nobody can write, you know, that many books and and, and each one be incredible. Um, and I think that makes him just a bit more real, a bit more accessible. He's not sort of like godly. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, another reason as well, when I was going through some sort of bad, some, some, some bad times when I was younger, his, his dark tower books, um, were a, were an escape for me, mm. uh, much needed escape, um, and I was I was close to choosing the Dark Tower uh, for this call, um, but I thought we would need much much more than an hour for the Dark Tower. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, so 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 that sort of you know the characters that he created in that they they were almost like friends to me, uh, and no. that, it meant a hell of a lot to me. So. So, so yeah, it's that kind of combination of just sort of him writing books really just sort of resonated with me so much, and I was able to connect with, and also the fact that he's just not perfect. Yeah, and what sort of impact has he had on your own writing? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned we talked earlier about sort of side characters and and stuff like that. Are, are, are there any other aspects of his work that you you can definitely see have filtered through into your own writing? Yeah, I think. Um, it's like one of the things that he does best is like small towns, mm-hmm. uh, a great cast of characters, creating that sort of believable history uh, for that town. And that absolutely is something that I tried to do with those you killed. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so there's that. Um, and I think also as well is that like uh, with a lot, with a lot of Stephen King's books, it's not. He's not writing it for the sake of entertainment. There's some greater sort of, there's some subtext, there's some message that to take from it. Um, and it isn't always entirely clear what that is. And that that is something that I, tr- I tried to, to do with those you build. And also I try to do with anything that I write is that yeah. there's some kind of idea that I want to explore and I'm going to use a story to explore that idea. And I want people to take something away from it, not just that, that this was a good story. This happened and this happened and this is how it ended. But no, this is like what it means. This is the message that I'm taking from it. And I think he's very good at doing that. Uh, in some cases, even just sort of the, the way that he, that he constructs the story, I think from the Buick 8 is always one that comes to mind in terms of being able to sort of like the idea of being able to let go and, and accept not knowing everything yeah you know and i think the way that he writes that book although he doesn't come out and say it what you're left with is that kind of feeling and yeah so that's that 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 is what i sort of get from him i think yeah and you mentioned you've read all of his work and he's i certainly find having gone through i mean i've gone through his chronology twice now and you can definitely see periods in his work often sort of hooked around key things going on in his life. Like, is there a, is there a particular period of King's work that you really, you would identify as your favorite or, or is it, is it individual titles from, 
happened throughout. I don't know. Wait a second. So you've gone, you've gone through, I, I thought it was an incredible achievement that I'd read all of his work once. I mean, some of them I've read a few times, but everything at least once. You've read everything at least twice. Yeah. So I did, I did all of them. I, I got all of them done by about, I don't know, about 2015. And then sort of was doing the new ones as they came out. And then 2019, I decided I'd do a chronological reread. So I'd do a king book and then a non-king and a king and a non-king. And that, uh, yeah. And and then with what with writing the quiz book and stuff, it was just like more more motivation to keep going. Um, so yeah, but it's it's, in, it's an interesting experience doing a, a chronological read because you you do pick up on these these periods a bit more. Like, you know, you can see like, okay, Dark Half is when he's getting sober. The 90s, he's sort of taking an interest in things like domestic abuse and trying to get more women lead characters and stuff. And then like the accident happens at the end of the 90s and there's this massive rush to finish the Dark Tower and stuff like from a Buick 8 where there's, there's lots of pondering on pain and death and stuff. And then like, I don't know, the last few years, he's just like, well, fuck it, I'll do what I want now. I'll just write true crime for a bit and and, and stuff. So yeah, I just yeah. Cur- I was just curious if, if 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 there was a particular period that that really floated your boat in particular. Yeah, um, I mean it'd be the eighties. Mm-hmm. He was he was on fire in the eighties. He was on cocaine uh, in the eighties, but yeah, he was. <laughs> and 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 actually, I mean, you say that I, I would obviously I would never condone um, drug use, drug abuse, but I think what he was going through during the eighties is reflected in his work i think mm. it's please i think that is the work of a tortured mind an addict uh you know i know that he he was battling with a lot of stuff from his childhood as well um and a hyper productive person as well clearly so yeah. like when when you amp that up because you, you look at him as a sober writer and he's still cranking out minimum one book a year but you you throw in a um an opera in there yeah it's, it's mad isn't it what it he was is. able to do but I think I think though you know if you look back like through history like a lot of like great creators they always there's something that's plaguing mm-hmm. them whether it's like an addiction or you know like trauma or depression some kind of mental um, ailment um, and I think yeah and I think that is the reason that he was so good in the 80s but yeah people should not do cocaine or drink lots of alcohol to write great story um, but yeah for me it's the 80s I mean he did it uh, he did the gunslinger. Um, when he did Firestarter in the eighties, uh, Christine, yeah, Christine, Cujo, different seasons, Pet Cemetery, uh, Misery. So, yeah. It was it was a great decade for him. Great yeah. decade, and probably my yeah, definitely my favourite. The eighties. Well, that's that's a nice transition into the book that you've you've picked for this conversation. You mentioned you you were considering the Dark Tower, but the one you've gone for. Is one you mentioned already is it um this sort of lesser known work from 1986 you know spanning a few pages um a few different timelines um gives us the losers club gives us pennywise arguably most iconic villain of all time um but these are all just me throwing things out there about that what is it about this book that made you plump plump for it for this, this conversation in the end um so i think it was it was the first king book that i tried to read um at a very inappropriate age so um as i said my mum had all of these books on her shelves so i was fascinated with them and i had a fascination with clowns um 
the one of the first well one of the earliest horror movies that i can remember watching was a film called clown house mm-hmm. um it's it i mean it's gained notoriety now for all the wrong reasons um but it essentially was about some kids that were having a sleepover and these guys dressed as clowns uh turn up and start killing them um and it kind of and it, it sort of it was the first thing that truly I guess like scared me because before that, I mean, my mum was terrible. My mum would just let me watch anything. Sorry, mum. Or she, I mean, she would. Um, But that was the first thing that like really scared me. And it was because it was kids. I'd always kind of thought as a kid, I always thought, well, we're kids. We're untouchable. The only people that die in, in horror stories, horror films are grownups. Kids are always safe. Uh, and then I watch this clown house and I, and, and I find out that actually they're not. And then, um, I find, I, I find out from sort of reading the blurb and sort of talking to my mum, um, and a lot of, uh, sort of stuff around the nineties miniseries. Coming out, and uh, actually this story here, kids are getting killed in this too. <laughs> that is what drew me to it because I, I always, to this day, I just like, I love like fear. I, li- I like to try and find things that are going to make me feel creeped out. And it's something that has, that has stuck with me from a very, very young age. And that was the reason that I picked up it and tried to read it. I didn't finish it because I was, I was way too young. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that is what drew me to it. And when I later revisited it um, at a much older age, uh, I was kind of... I was old enough to understand a lot of the um the layers that 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 story has to it and the different levels of fear that he explores in that story and i think that i mean that that is what i truly love the most about it is that it isn't just you can talk to somebody in the street you can mention it it's pretty much in like pop culture everybody knows about pennywise but they all just a, a lot of people just assume well yeah it's, it's the horror it's about a clown when in fact, it really isn't. You know, the clown is quite a small part of it. Um, it's all of the other things that he kind of, I guess, that he like appears as, and all the other different kinds of danger that that the kids are confronted with, and the adults are confronted with as well throughout the story. And that mixed in with possibly one of his best stories of friendship that he's ever written as well. Like it's an it's an overwhelmingly like positive and heartwarming story at times as well. And then at the same time, it's a clown ripping children to shreds quite literally and in, in the form of their darkest fears. It's such a, such a magnificent blend. I mean, like uh, I, I usually ask at this point, I usually ask questions like favorite characters, favorite scenes, all of that kind of stuff. feels like a particularly difficult question for this book because it's, you know, even the side characters are really rich in this one. Like, Henry Bowers, for example, would be would be the star of anyone else's book, and he's just there as a side character. But like, what? Who are who are the characters in this that jump out of the page at you in particular? I mean, you mentioned like I I, I mentioned all of the different types of danger in the book. Henry Bowers is, yeah. you know, he's a he's a real world mm. danger to the kids, uh, well, to the adults. In fact, later on in the story, um, you know, he goes from being a bully to actually, you know, being a murderer um and i guess just on that point as well while i'm on it um 
yeah, I th- it's another great thing about this book that there's that aspect. There's there's there's, there's the clown, the demon. Um, there's Henry Bowers. There's obviously Bev's abusive husband. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 the fifties, there's Bev's um, questionable dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd even go as far as to say, sort of, um, you know, Eddie's mum. You know, Eddie's mum is overbearing to the point of it being quite a creepy thing that she's doing to him. She's almost kind of gaslighting him in a way. Um, and then there's obviously all of the adults in the town that just look the other way. And so, so there was, there was just so much in the story to be, to be scared of. Um, but in terms of characters, uh, I mean, Richie is one of my favorite King characters. He's just, he's hilarious. Uh, probably matched only by Beaver in Dreamcatcher or, or Eddie Dean in the Dark Tower. Uh, he's right up there with the best characters King's ever created. Um, and of course, Pennywise. Um, mm. Just because there is just so much going on there. Um, you know, and, and the fact that he's this kind of ancient evil that God, I, th- I think in the book they say he says billions of years old. Um, so yeah, I would say it's Richie and Pennywise that are the characters that stand out for me. And in terms of like favorite, favorite scenes, favorite moments, because obviously that there are a number of iconic ones which have been captured in the adaptations. But you know, for anyone who's read the book as well, will know that there are dozens more that that didn't make it. Uh, what what are the standout ones for you? Standouts for me. So I mean. It, Miss, Mrs. Persh, so um, they did a fantastic job of that in It Chapter 2. Mm. Um, they made that incredibly creepy. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that is a standout scene for me, but I think uh, it, it's, it's scenes that haven't been done in, in either of them. So there's, there's the scene where Mike um, goes to the Ironworks and there's the um, there's the giant bird, yeah, it's a giant bird, uh, which is like a film that he watched. Um, that was just an absolutely incredible scene, like really scary. That giant bird, like attacking him, and then I think he like stabs it in the eye, and like loads of little like parasite things come out of his eyes. Um, but also like a really as a sort of an integral part of the story because that's like. Sure, that's the first time that you, you start to get the gist of what what Pennywise's weakness is, because Mike sort of stands his ground in yeah. that scene, um, and then and the bird goes away. So, yeah, I absolutely loved that scene, and it terrified me when I was younger because I mean I'm not a big fan of birds anyway, just because of how erratic they are. Um, but yeah, that was a brilliant scene, and uh, Patrick Hockstetter. I mean that. That scene in the book, I mean, they kind of they they touched on it in in the latest adaptations, but I mean, in the book, I mean, you know, they they go into the fact that he sort of that you know killed his baby, you know, his baby sibling, um, you know, would trap animals in this fridge to kill them. And then and and yeah and the, and you know and then he opens the fridge and these giant leeches like attack him and then he gets dragged away and eaten. It's just yeah. So th- those two scenes, which unfortunately haven't been adapted properly, um, 
they're probably my favourite. But I was so happy when they included Mrs. Kirsch in that latest adaptation. Mm. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean that that was that was definitely one of the the creepiest moments of um of chapter two. I think I'm I'm similar to you there. I, I, there are a lot of the scenes that have been captured that stick out for me, but there's the ones that the ones that I immediately think of are ones that haven't been adapted. Like um, one of the times when Pennywise is killing one, killing someone, and he's he's dressed as the creature from the Black Lagoon, and the the child notices that you can even see the zip on the back of him. It's just yeah. details like that which I loved, and the scene where I think it's Ben can see pennywise and the balloons are just floating towards him and it's like that shouldn't happen like the laws of physics should not make that possible and that and yet the balloons are just getting closer and closer towards him and it's i guess stuff like that almost works better on the page sometimes but yeah there's yeah it's it's a book about fear isn't it and and there is a lot to be scared of here i mean just with uh with ben as well there's the scene in the uh in the library when he's an adult and um pennywise appears as like dracula he's like a vampire mm. and he's got um he's got like razor blades the teeth mm. and he takes them out and is sort of like i think he's like he, he takes them out and he's like chopping himself up isn't he like he mm. cuts himself and all these bits of flesh and blood are like raining down on these people that are just there reading their books and have no idea about it they're not reacting to it that 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 was a an incredible scene and they've not adapted that either yeah i guess I guess pretty pretty tough to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about Pennywise and fear a lot. I'm curious, what what form do you think Pennywise would take if you had the misfortune of encountering yeah. them? I know the answer to this because people have asked me before, mm-hmm. um, what's 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 your greatest fear? And and it's always to do with my daughter mm-hmm. uh, being lost um, and me not knowing where she is. So. If, if Pennywise were to appear for me, it would be, he would be my daughter just sort of in distress. Mm. It'd be my daughter asking for help. And that I would, it would absolutely break me. Absolutely break me. I would, I'd be a victim of Pennywise. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to fight him. No, that would, that would be tough. That would be very tough. Um, <laughs> I just realized what my next question is. We, we've talked about scenes from the book. They have not made it into the adaptations. Um, and there's there's one in particular, um, a scene in the sewer um, that I'm pretty sure will likely never make it into any adaptation. Um, and I've seen I've seen various readings of this scene. Like I'm always curious for people who have who have read it and 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 can actually look at it with a bit more of a a nuanced viewpoint. Like what what are your thoughts on that particular? scene and for those who are wondering why is he going on about i'm talking about the children having the orgy in the sewer that scene folks but what what do you make of that uh i mean it's all kinds of wrong so um um, i know that king came out quite a few years ago and sort of explained it away um and i kind of I, i i get what he was what he wanted it to symbolize that it was about this kind of you know this this sort of conduit between childhood and adulthood and they were all lost and the only way to find find their way was this kind of this physical connection but i i personally just think that um 
he didn't need to do that. Hmm. Um, I mean, he said that it wasn't about sex, but then he's made it about sex. He's kind of he's made that de- that decision that well, the only thing that 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 can do what that can you know serve the purpose here and help them along is sex. Hmm. So he kind of made that decision, and I think it is a faux pas on his part. Um, I think something as simple as her giving each of them a kiss would have had the same impact because when you're at that age because they're very young at that age when you're at that age a kiss is a big thing mm-hmm. uh, and it stays with you um you know and for some of those boys well all those boys at that time it would have been their first kiss mm-hmm. so a kiss would have been fine he didn't have to make them all have sex yeah so yeah yeah i i, I don't think he'd I get, I get what he was trying to you know do but he did it in the completely the wrong way i think yeah Fair enough. What do you What do you think? I mean, I so I I think like you, I saw I saw his explanation of it. I've seen people sort of talking about that, and yeah, the idea of it being this they were all lost and they needed to do something to to reform the group and and pull it together. And I I can certainly I can certainly look at it with a bit more I don't know with a bit with a bit less of a reactionary view than yeah. than most people will or people who haven't read it and will just hear about it online but like you i think it it does still feel really weird because they're all like 12 it's just like yeah and it goes on for pages <laughs> that's what i was just gonna say yeah it lingers for a long time and it's yeah it's to the point i remember the first time I was reading it i was sort of a couple of pages into that scene i was like is this is this what i think is that is what Am I am I imagining this or is this actually happening here? No, it's actually happening here. Okay, that's that's weird. Um but yeah, like I think I think I'm similar to you. I they clearly they needed something to bring them back together, connect the group, find the bond again so they could get out of there. And yeah, that that idea of the bridge between childhood and adulthood, it's kind of tying into um the library, isn't it? And sort of how how the library was set up in Derry. With the with the corridor between the two and stuff, but yeah, I think he probably could have we could have chosen a diff, a different vehicle and a different method yeah. to getting that across. But no, that's drugs for you, I guess. Exactly, <laughs> drugs, and it was the eighties, man. Yeah, exactly. Something else that is um, less controversial about this book, um, but pretty well known, is is the the sort of chunkiness. I mean, that is a that is a thick chunky book it's a sprawling book it covers multiple timelines and stuff as for you sitting there as an author who was who has done more than thousands of authors will do already and got a novel out there and you're writing on other ones can you ever see yourself doing something as as sprawling and as weighty as this um yeah yeah so i i i i have an idea for a sort of doorstop worthy book um, which I, I plan on moving on to once I've gotten these two out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, look forward to that. Um, so before we wrap up with it, I, we've mentioned the adaptations here and there. Obviously, two very famous ones. We've got the 1990 miniseries and the 2017 and 2019 um, movies. I, I take it, are you a fan of both of those? And and also, who's who's your favourite Pennywise is it? Is it Tim Curry or is it Bill Skarsgård? It's Bill. It's Bill Skarsgård. 
Um, I just think I think he he was scarier mm-hmm. than Tim Curry. Even watching it as an adult, I, I I find him scarier than Tim Curry's. And also, he was a bit more playful in his clown form, which which came across in the book in certain scenes that he was quite playful mm. in a creepy way. And although, like Tim Curry did capture some of that, I think Bill Skarsgård captured a, a lot more of that that feeling. Yeah. Okay. No. Good. I mean, I've, I've... I realized that Tim Curry is kind of you know untouchable, you know, I... and, and yeah, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I just think Bill really Bill threw himself into it though. Mm. He really did. I saw the like the audition, you know, videos of him. He really went for it. And Tim Curry's got. 27 years of being a pop culture icon in that role yeah, before the second one even came out hasn't he yeah yeah let's let bill have a bit of it now no oh, i like it yeah okay well lastly on it um i'm just curious again a question i throw out to everyone but if there's anyone watching or listening to this who who hasn't given it a go curious what would your three words be to describe it or sell it to to someone and convince them to give it a try i'd be really cryptic I'd say I just I'd I'd say something like you'll float too. Oh, nice, nice. I like that. Hmm. Yeah, good. Okay, great. Well, well, Chris, I mean, we're, we're almost done. It's been it's been a fantastic chat and getting to know more about your work and obviously talking about it. But um, before I let you go, and this isn't an optional thing. This is this is happening. I'm just prepping you for the fact that it is happening. We we've got to complete the quick fire 19 question king challenge before we get out. So, like I say, we're doing it, but I just want to know are you ready to do it? I think I'm ready. I like that there are 19 questions. Yeah, that was that was yeah. that was not accidental. I can tell you that. Okay. So I <laughs> so I have to answer as quickly as I can. Yeah, yeah. And if I feel like I need explanation, I will ask, but I'm, I'm trying to make this a fairly quick fire way to, to wrap up the interview. So most of the time I will just, I'll probably just maybe raise an eyebrow or make a, make a noise, but then move on. So, um, yeah, don't think about it too much. Um, cause already we're at the point where we're probably taking longer describing it than we're going to do to get through the questions. So yeah, let's just go. Um, what was the first King book you read? That I finished. Yeah. I think it was Everything's Eventual. Okay. And what yeah. was the first one you what was the first one you tried to read and didn't finish? Just out of curiosity. Okay. Yeah. As you were talking about earlier. Um and what was the most recent King book you read? I read his last one, Fairy Tale Fairy Tale. Oh no, actually no, I read Sleeping Beauties after oh, okay. that. Sorry, yeah, Sleeping Beauties. Yeah. Tough tough couple of books back to back there. Um what is your all-time favorite king? It. And what about your all-time least favorite king? Oh, it would be a toss-up. Can I say two? Mm. Sleeping Beauties, because it was awful and boring, or uh, um, Roadwork, for the same reason. Yeah, fair. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you think is King's most underrated book? Dreamcatcher. Okay. Um, thinking about cover artwork, which King book has your favourite cover? Uh, it it would be the uh, the UK first edition of It with the the house on Nebolt Street. That sure. one that one comes up so often on this question. It's um yeah, it's nice to see a UK cover getting getting the limelight as well. Um, what about your least favourite cover art? 
least favourite cover art would be uh, the Backman books, where all four were collected in one because it's just awful font <laughs> on the cover. There's no image. Yep. Yep. Um, what's the one King book that you could recommend to anyone who likes reading? Mm. Pet Cemetery. Um, thinking about the adaptations, so movies, TV series, etc. Um, what's your favourite King adaptation? Ah, oh. the the first one that comes to mind is the eleven twenty two sixty three mm-hmm. limited series. Okay, uh, they oh. did a fantastic job of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I do some honourable mentions though? Of course, yeah. Uh, I would say Shawshank Redemption, The mm-hmm. Green Mile, mm-hmm. um, The Mist. Mm. Um, Stand By Me, a.k.a. The Body. Yep. Okay. And what about your least favourite adaptation? The Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tough watch, particularly for people who are fans of The Dark Tower in particular. Yeah. Yeah, tough one, that. Um, So this one I'm I'm, I'm interested in. So I'm going to offer you the chance to have a King character make a cameo in your own work. Who are you going to pick? Um, oh, wow. I, Roland. Roland Deshane. Okay, I was, I was just about to ask Deshane or LeBay, but um, yeah, okay, Deshane, nice. Um, which, which King book or story would you say is most similar to your own style of writing? Um, I mean, a few people that have read those you killed have said Bag of Bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was I... one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I think you were, yeah. Um, but I'd probably say Revival. Mm-hmm. I think to, to, to break out of the quickfire mode for a moment, I, yeah, I'd agree on both of those actually in that book. I think, I think Bag of Bones more from the location and, though as you were saying earlier the sort of juxtaposition of like stuff that shouldn't be there coming through and being creepy the i think the revival is a really great shout as well um i think i also i'm trying to remember if i put it in my writer i think i'm sure like i got flavors of the dark half as well um and yeah, yeah. Any, anything connected to to small towns as we were talking about earlier so yeah no okay yeah i that was a long-winded way of saying yes i agree um Okay, and for this one, I want you to just give me one king book for each. So I want one. There we go. Told you that was going to be a good conversation. Huge thank you to Christopher for his time and for all his insights. And do go and check out Those You Killed. It's available now. Links are in the description. You won't regret it. It's one of the best novels I read last year. Still think about it and some of the scenes in here. An awful lot. And do connect with Christopher as well. Stay up to date with what he's got coming. As you heard in the interview, there's lots more to come. As well as supporting Christopher, if you want to support me, you can sign up to my newsletter, you can pick up my Stephen King quiz book that I wrote, and you can pick up some of my fiction as well. I've got some of that out there too. All the links are in the description. And if you liked this podcast, follow it. If you're on a platform where you can follow it, rate it, review it if you can do that. Share this episode or other episodes with a friend who might also like to hear about these authors or hear the discussions we're having about these Stephen King books. The best way for this kind of thing to spread is through word of mouth. So 
yeah, tell your friends about it. Point them to wherever you listen to your podcast or show them the link on YouTube as well. Either is much appreciated. That does it for this episode, but we are sticking with it for our next episode, mainly because I didn't read my emails properly, but also because it's a big book and it deserves more than one conversation about it. So uh, yeah, join me for that when I'll be back bringing you another constant writer very soon. Yes.